Welcome back to the Keystone Chronicles podcast. This week, guys, I got one hell of an episode lined up. Mr. John Hebenthal came through spitting straight facts about as many things Rattlesnake as I could dream of and think of. <laughs> this episode is really good for me. I don't know a lot about rattlesnakes. I know where there's a lot of them at, and I see them all the time. Love to take pictures of them. Uh, just know what I see of them. And if you're like me, I'm sure that you've heard this or that, you know, uh, things like how many beads are in its tail or uh, this is how old it is because of this or uh, black snakes eat rattlesnakes and and all this kind of stuff like that. Uh, This episode is going to be great for you if if this is stuff that you're questioning or if you're a guy that knows this stuff and you just want to hear it. Uh, I had a really great time sitting down with him and... I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy this episode. So, something a little different. We got a lot of rattlesnakes in Pennsylvania. Um, spread out. Spread out. Uh, when I say a lot, I guess just in certain areas. Because uh, I do know there are part of the states where they are harder to find. And we do kind of go over where you can maybe find some easier than other places. Or the kind of habitat that they need to thrive in this episode. Um, pretty much, John gets down to this core where he wants to try to push the fact that these snakes are just demonized for no reason within this state and I believe he is correct I don't ever remember just coming up on a rattlesnake and and having it in strike mode right away you know I feel like that kind of snake is gonna try to run from you before you even get close to it and uh, I know a lot of people like to kill them and I guess I can somewhat understand if it's on your property and you got dogs or or kids and you're worried that they're gonna get bit uh it makes sense i understand it um maybe call somebody call somebody to come relocate the snake take it somewhere else if you got a whole bunch of them definitely call somebody to come help you out with that uh there are laws in pennsylvania and the fish commission is actually the ones that oversee the laws for rattlesnake hunting in PA. If you want more information on that, please go over to uh, the Fish and Boat website for Pennsylvania, and uh, everything you need to know is on there. As for me, in the outdoors this week, um, the bow, the string is hot, man. I am just flinging as many arrows as I can, and I'm ready. (laughs) And when I say I'm ready, I mean, I don't want to really say that I'm ready to deer hunt. Yes, I am, but I need more shooting time in and it wasn't that I wasn't shooting at all earlier in the year but I actually just got another new target I ended up getting a block six by six target so um I had the old block it was very good to me and uh I got a new one on sale and I'm excited to use it haven't got to shoot it yet but Tomorrow will be the first day I get to shoot it. So pretty excited about that. I hope you guys realize that we are in that time of the year. You know, we're less than 60 days away from the opening day. And you lucky guys out in uh, what it would be like 5B, 2B, or maybe it's 5A. I can't remember. You guys get the early opener. and Good for you. <laughs> I'm definitely jealous. But with that said, if you guys don't have your equipment ready or you got to get to the bow shop, let's get there now. Let's get, you know, let's get our local business, some good business, and um, get your guys' stuff ready. Let's not be last-minute guys like we all are, stumbling into the woods on the first day, forgetting our release, and uh, forgetting your bow, for God's sakes. I know I've been there. I've done that um, as crazy as it is, but 
Let's get everything in line. Let's get everything ready to go. Keystone Chronicles podcast. John Hebenthal. Here we go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Today, boy, I think we got a firecracker here. John, Mr. John Hebenthal, what is going on, brother? Uh, not too much. I, uh, uh, hi, everybody. My name is John Hebenthal. I'm from uh, central Pennsylvania area, Shamokin to be exact. And uh, I'm an outdoorsman. I would say pretty so. much what I have to say about it. <laughs> John, what uh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a welder, fabricator. Uh, I work out near uh, Pottsville, St. Clair area. And uh, yeah, bust my hump 40 hours a week plus doing what I have to do so that I can enjoy my free time when I when I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said you had four kids. <laughs> yeah. Four <laughs> kids, ages uh, six, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're. Uh, I'm sure you get a lot of free time, a lot of time to nap. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> not, not nearly enough, it seems. Uh, um, we make do. We were talking earlier uh, before we fired up here, and you said that tonight was a special night for uh, one of your boys. Uh, you guys went and got a new bow. Yeah, my my oldest, Gabe. He uh, he's finally he's been messing around with a. Uh, some little kid bows here, there and everywhere. And every chance he gets, he's been shooting my targets out around the house and <laughs> making cardboard ones. And I came home today and there's targets everywhere all through the place. And his birthday was coming up at the end of this month. So I decided, you know what, let's head on down to Baker's and pick him out a bow, get him some arrows, get him set up. And that's what we ended up doing tonight. And how, how old pretty, is Gabe? Gabe is nine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was right around, like I said, right around the same track, eight or so. And uh, we, we were going to date ourselves because we were talking and I laughed about it. And I said <laughs> that mine was a Golden Eagle 2. I'm yeah, pretty sure that's, I think, that's the first yeah, mine was I uh, with. Mine, I think, was a used Hoyt. I want to say it was called a Power Mag <laughs> or something to that extent. It had ABS limbs and aluminum riser. and Yeah. It was just unbearable in the cold. Yeah. You know what? That was probably the bow at the time. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure of it. Well, it, by the time I got my hands on it, it was starting to show its age. Right. You needed new strings. The The pins weren't straight up and down anymore, so mm-hmm. you kind of had to see the top pin and guess the next ones. <laughs> but I gave myself a 30-yard limit. I wasn't allowed to shoot at deer past that. Yeah. And my very first set in the tree stand, I kid you not, I was in the stand for maybe five minutes, and a buck came walking right by at 17 yards. I shot. I called my buddy. And I, was, I was freaking out. I was like, I got one. I got one. I got one. He said, how was the hit? I said, he was he was pouring blood. I got him. He said, how many points did he have? I said, six. And he goes, you hesitated. I said, I know, I know, but I, I'm, I'm almost positive there were six there. <laughs> sure enough, it ended up being a little six point. <laughs> he was only like 30 yards from my stand. I didn't see where he went down. Um, I wasn't paying too much attention. I was tunnel vision, but we ended up getting him. It was, and that was, that was how I cut my teeth in <sighs> archery hunting. And I've been hooked. I was going to say, you never look back. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> um, you don't happen to remember what kind of arrows in, uh, uh, what kind of broadheads you're using, do you? I was using thunderheads. <laughs> I knew I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> Everybody started with thunderheads, yeah, yeah. And uh 
I want to say that my first arrows, they weren't aluminum. I know they were carbon, but I think they were the carbon express pile drivers. Mm-hmm. I think I, I want to say those might've been a Walmart special. I, yep. I'm almost positive. I picked them up at Walmart. Yep. Yep. Which is nothing wrong with that. No, no, nothing against <laughs> if them. It works. It I, works. I know that my first ones, I don't, I'm almost positive my dad had me shooting his aluminums. Yeah. And they were the old Easton, uh, like the the golden Hunter XTs. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like like the golden camouflage color on them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. They with the with the green and orange fletchings. Um, they tapered down towards the knock. Yeah. And they and were anytime you hit them into a target that wasn't perfectly soft, <laughs> they'd bow a little bit. Yeah, you'd only it. know when you threw a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly which ones those are. Yeah, man. As soon as you'd put them, I remember we had a uh, the guy that we'd we'd go to a bow shoot uh, on Wednesdays, and the guy gave me a magnet one time, and he was rolling it on a drop ceiling for me, and I took it home, and I would sit there and roll my arrows. <laughs> and I said, Dad, I think they're all bent. And he says, You'll be fine, buddy. Just aim. <laughs> Just hope for the best. <laughs> oh man, that's funny, man. That's we all get our start somehow, man, and that's. You'll never forget that. Nah. No, I'm God, sure no. We you're... always look back and laugh. Nobody ever looks back and said, yeah, I was. everything went really well. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, everything lined up just the way I thought. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. never how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, back then, even shooting 30 yards, man, boy, that's a zinger, you know? Yeah. And nowadays. And nowadays, yeah. I'm out here practicing in my backyard <laughs> at 90 yards. Yeah. Just holding softball sized groups at 90 yards like it's nothing and i remember when i was first cutting my teeth if i could hit a basketball at 30 i was a happy guy that shit's crazy (laughs) man i'm telling you and that's that's just a modern day well you think about the let off and everything in today's game and oh um, yeah and i have a i have the iq site on mine so i can check my hand torque Mm -hmm. on the fly yep yep that definitely helps. I've definitely become a much, much better archer over the years. And like I said, no thanks to my dad. I mean, it, you know, he set us up for, for success, taking us to all those 3D shoots. And uh, yeah. they actually do it locally. They do meat shoots. I don't know if you've ever heard of a meat shoot with a bow. I've heard of grocery shoots with a 22, and I'm assuming they're along the same lines. Yeah, so basically what they do is they put a piece of paper up 20 yards away, and it's got a whole bunch of numbers, like like little circles and numbers on it. And the numbers are so small, 20 yards, you can't see it. Right. And you can either group your arrows and hope you hit a 10 or throw your arrows all around this piece of paper, just like a piece of printer paper, like 8 by 11. <laughs> yeah. And, and whoever comes up with the top three prizes, you win a prize for that round. That's awesome. Dude, I mean, it's a good time, man. Uh, so shout out to Glitz and Sportsman. They hold one. And I think I think we did one in Port Matilda one time, too. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been to one of those ones. I uh, I've seen the ones where uh, you take a twenty-two at predetermined yardages. The closest ones are like thirty. The furthest ones away are like one hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. And whoever shoots the best score on the target at that stage gets the top prize. Right. And then there's they hand out first, second, third for each target. And then you get to the end and you find out that target twenty-three first place got a, a five pound chuck roast right and, and that's you. why they call them grocery shoots because it's, it's basically stuff that's sponsored by local grocery stores I have, a, I have a buddy who's really really 
he used to do really, really well at those things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, if you ever get the chance to go to one, that's, that breaks my week up real well. Usually they have them on, uh, um, Thursday nights, I believe it's Wednesday or Thursday nights. I can't remember which one it is, but go and I mean, bows and beers never mix too wells, but I, I mean, I can't lie. I usually have, I usually have a beer too. And you know, just to, chill. Hey, just to keep the muscles loose. Yeah, that's right. Just to keep everything <laughs> lubricated. Yeah, exactly. So, but let's walk down this line, man. This is going to be a real good conversation for me because I know a little bit about this subject, but not a lot. And I'm very curious on a lot of stuff with this. And I know that you're knowledgeable going down this road. So let's get right into it. We're going to talk about the beast, the demon, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the woods landmine, if you will. Yeah. Um, at least that's the way that this is all portrayed. And I know I'm on your side on this. I don't know why it's demonized the way it is, but let's talk about the Pennsylvania rattlesnake. Yeah, so uh, Pennsylvania has two species of rattlesnakes. One is only present in two counties. It's the eastern Massasauga rattlesnake, which is much smaller and has a much more limited range, and they're endangered. The other species is timber rattlesnake, which is uh, the scientific name is Crotalus horridus, which isn't a great phrase for that in the first place because it sounds like they're they're horrid or horrible creatures correct um and yeah they exist in most of the state uh pretty much there's a a couple counties in the southern southeast section that don't have them Mm -hmm. um but for the most part if you're within the borders of pennsylvania you're never more than an hour drive from good rattlesnake country they're all through the woods you find them all over the place when you know what to look for and as somebody who's an avid outdoorsman and hiker i've done a lot of the appalachian trail i've done a lot of a lot of the other trails that are out and about i've gone through state game lands scouting Mm -hmm. for deer for bear for grouse stuff like that and uh even myself somebody who was always interested in snakes from a really young age I never really found that many timber rattlesnakes until I started looking for them. Right. And now I find two to 300 every year. And that's with my limited time afield with four kids, a full-time job, a wife and a house that is in constant need of renovations and (laughs) remodels. It seems. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of, what kind of questions do you have about them? Cause I can, I can go off on a tangent here. Oh man. But <laughs> and that's, that's why we're going to get into this because there's, there's a lot of questions I have like number one and I, where I work at and I'm not going to give any locations here because we, we really try to take care of these snakes. We got a pile of them and it seems like it only is on days that start out cold, well, I don't want to say cold, but cooler in the mornings, mm-hmm. that we catch them more often than not, chilling out right around, give or take, 10, 30, 10 a.m., 10, yep. 30, 11. That's about right. That's about right. Yeah. And, it, and you're wondering why. Yeah. Yeah, because... Okay. So, timber rattlesnakes, like any and all reptiles, mm-hmm. they... They are not warm-blooded creatures. Everybody knows that they're cold-blooded, but a lot of people don't understand exactly what that means. So 
in a human body and deer and cows and literally every mammal, everything that's not a warm blood, everything that is a warm blooded animal, your digestive system works so long as you're between not freezing and not cooking. Your metabolism is still functioning. Your brain still functions. Your heart still beats. Your lungs still move air. Your blood still flows through your veins. All of that works so long as two things are accomplished. One, you're not – well, three things. One, you're not freezing. Two, you're not cooking. And three, you're not dead. Right. As long as those three things are satisfied, your body is going to function more or less properly. With cold-blooded animals, their metabolisms don't work if they're below a certain temperature and their metabolisms don't work efficiently if they're over a certain temperature. Now, different species can deal with different temperature ranges. So in the case with timber rattlesnakes in the state of Pennsylvania, for the most part, they can survive short temperature, short temperature exposure of down to most likely somewhere around the 40 to 35 degree range, but it's a very short amount of time that they can withstand that and they can come back without any ill effects. However, their metabolism goes dormant anytime it's less than 50 degrees about. Because of that, if you had a nighttime low that dropped down to hypothetically 55 degrees, yeah, they are barely able to digest their food. They're going to be barely able to move around. They're extremely lethargic and at high risk of being prey. So what they need to do is they need to absorb their heat from another source, the sun. They can absorb it on overcast days, which is another time where you'll see them out Mm -hmm. for extended periods of time. Because once they get their core temperature up to their desired temperature – if uh, the number escapes me, but I believe that they like to hang out around the 85 degree range. Hmm. Once they're able to accomplish that number, there's no more reason for them to be exposed to red tail hawks, possums, bobcats, stuff like that. They go back to hiding. So if the day starts out at 75 and by the time 10 o'clock gets around, it's already 85 degrees. They're back under the rocks and they're not bothering anybody. Right. When the day starts out at 50 degrees and the daytime high only gets up to 75 and it's overcast, they're going to spend all day out. Mm -hmm. I see. And and especially if they have food in their stomachs that they need to digest, that they need to process, they can't get that process moving unless they're out in the sun. Wow. So (laughs) they have to absorb. It's not it's not photosynthesis, but it's about as close as you can get to photosynthesis with a heartbeat. They need the the warmth in order to function. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense because you, <laughs> you hit it about right on the head, man. I, I The times that we see them are right about what you're saying, you know, and it's funny because we work with a lot of stuff that holds heat very well and we lay shit all over the place that sits there for days <laughs> upon end years, you know? Yep. And especially large pieces of metal that are yep. together. I used so to run... you are creating a fantastic habitat for them. Yeah. Because whereas 
a rock that's eight inches thick, mm -hmm. the size of a dining room table. Yeah. It might take the sun 10 hours to get that rock heated through. Right. Till the bottom of that rock is almost as warm as the top of that rock. Mm -hmm. Whereas a chunk of metal, which conducts heat much better. Yep. That chunk of metal is going to heat through a lot quicker. Yep. Those snakes are going to be able to hide underneath that chunk of metal much sooner in the day. Whereas the rock is going to provide them a slow dispersion of heat throughout the night and the metal will leave them cold. Yep. But the metal will heat up very quickly and they can hide under it sooner. And depending on what the snake is looking for that particular day, whether he's looking for prey or just a good hiding spot or he's looking to digest a big meal the metal might be the better decision for them. Yep. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And we catch them moving from certain pieces of metal to certain rocks daily. Yep. And it's funny, man. I'm going to segue right into, we got a bunch of different colors. What do the colors mean and why is that? So in Pennsylvania, amongst timber rattlesnakes, there are two widely accepted color mutations mm -hmm. or color variants mm -hmm. and one is a yellow phase yep. which will have yellow eyes a yellow head and then the pattern can be it's normally on the lighter range then you have black phase which is black eyes black head and an overall darker coloration to it right some people mention a cross phase which has black head black eyes but a very light pattern. Those are just lighter black phases. And the best way I could describe it to somebody who knows little to nothing about reptiles at all, certain mutations are codominant, certain mutations are allelic, certain mutations are recessive. Right. The yellow phase and black phase, the best way to describe it to somebody who knows nothing about that at all is if I told you I had a lab at home, right, it wouldn't tell you what color it is mm -hmm. because you could have a yellow lab, a black lab, or a chocolate lab. That's right. In the same way in Pennsylvania, they are all the same species as long as you're within timber rattlesnakes, leaving eastern Mossasaugus out of this. Timber rattlesnakes, the, the colors are variables in the melanin levels in the skin. So if a black phase male and a yellow phase female have a clutch or a litter, basically, okay. of rattlesnakes, there's going to be a massive amount of differences in the colors of those, those babies. You're going to have some come out yellows. You're going to have some come out blacks. And you can have them anywhere in between. But they're still the same species. Yep. I understand. And the reason I understand that's because I have silver labs. <laughs> okay. And All right. So yeah, it's the perfect example because they're, you know, mom's mom's a black lab and dad's uh, a yellow lab, you know? Yep. So, um, now that genetic and mutation, the, it, it's through the blood or whatever, but it's, it's super similar to what you're saying. Yep. Um, yeah, man, I didn't know that. And you just you just got me too. You said that they it's called a clutch. Is that is that what they refer to as like a so, nester? Yes and no. Um, typically, a clutch is referred to eggs, but most reptiles lay eggs. Whereas 
the pit vipers in Pennsylvania are live bearers. So they actually have a litter. So sorry, I'm outside. That's what the background noise is. Um, timber rattlesnakes have a litter or a clutch, whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure of the scientific term. I believe it's litter, but they're live bearers. They give birth to fully formed, fully functional baby rattlesnakes, not eggs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I honestly never knew that. But it does <laughs> and, make uh, sense because um, I do know that the copperheads do the same. Correct. Yes, because so they're another make... they're another pit viper mm-hmm. as well. Right. So they're within the same genus or right. phylum. I'm yep. not 100 percent sure, but because of that, they're also live bearers. So fully functional as well. Yeah, that's and. You wouldn't happen to know how many at a time that that uh, any rattle is it a big various number or is it is it pretty yeah similar? so it 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 varies quite a okay. lot depending on many different things obviously age and size of the female involved is pretty much the largest contributor to litter size small females young females uh, underfed females have smaller litters of babies. Big females, well-fed females, older females have larger litters of babies within a certain extent, obviously. If one's on her way out, she's not going to do so well. But I've heard the numbers as low as six. I've heard numbers as high as 15 and anywhere in between. I can only speak to anecdotal evidence. Uh, There are a few gestational sites that I frequent. Uh, Gestational sites are where females go to have their babies, Uh, For whatever reason, they pick a spot, they decide this is where I'm going to have my babies, and they'll do that not every year, but every year that they're going to have babies, they'll go to that site to do so. And there's a few sites that I go to that are almost communal gestational sites where I'll find five or six females on the same rock at the same time, and they are all extremely gravid and about to pop. I'll come back two weeks later, and there will just be babies everywhere. Um, there's one spot specifically that I have this anecdotal evidence of is I had checked on these females once a week at least because it was only about a mile hike in halfway home from where I was commuting from work at the time. Mm-hmm. So I drive halfway home, pull off to the side of the road, it'd be about a, a mile hike in, check on the females. I had only ever seen five females on that rock at the most. That's the most females I'd ever seen out on that rock. Yeah. And I was checking on them at least once a week. And that went on for like three or four weeks, checking on them, checking on them, checking on them until finally I showed up and there were babies wow. and there were probably 50 or 60 babies. And how, how on big a rock that had five females, how long, as far as like in, in inches, how many, and uh, like you said, how, how big are they about? So baby rattlesnakes are about, eight to 10 inches long. If you stretched them out, you might get them to a foot. I doubt it. Um, it's very rare that they're in a perfectly straight line. So it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, they don't have a functional rattle Mm -hmm. when they're first born. And a lot of times they don't get a functional rattle by the time winter hits, um, from the ones that I've seen, I've seen a couple with one section, but it doesn't actually make noise. So if they're rattling in the leaves, you'll hear the babies. But for the most part, they gain a section of the rattle every time they shed their skin. And they shed their skin based on how well they're eating, how well they're in, 
how well their humidity is being maintained. It's a bunch of other factors, but the rattle actually doesn't tell you how old they are. Obviously, if they have no rattle whatsoever and they're eight inches long, you know it's a baby and it's a first year. But they can't they can't audibly tell you like, hey, you're about to step on me. And when they coil up, however, the part that always freaks people out is when they coil up, mm-hmm. like when they're basking, they take up about as much space as a snuff can. Wow. That's all the bigger it is. And does it seem like they're more uh, aggressive or – um, no god no okay they are cowards um rattlesnakes in general are cowards um yeah when when they have literally no other option mm-hmm. then they're going to start either trying to show you that they're not worth your time right and if you pick them up they will try and kill you that's that's typically the way it goes um people will find a rattlesnake on a logging road or in the yard of their cabin right and something like that and they'll they'll see how it acts and they'll think that this is how rattlesnakes behave but thinking that rattlesnakes behave like that on a regular basis is the same way as looking at deer on the highway and saying wow this is what deer do (laughs) they just stare at danger walk driving right to them at 70 mile an hour with three tons worth of steel it's it's not a good comparison if you find Typically, it's a larger male moving from one location to another, and he crosses through your yard, and you or your dog or somebody walks up on it. He has nowhere to hide, and he is a noodle with a head. The world is a terrifying place, and his only option at that point is to either intimidate you until you leave him alone, or if you don't leave him alone, it's now a life or death situation where he has to make the decision between yours and his, and he's not going to pick his. Right. right. It's going to be yours. Um, I forget the exact statistic, but I believe it's somewhere in the range of one out of every four envenomations. I'm sorry, one out of every four venomous snake bites yeah. in the United States that take place below the knee are dry are considered dry bites. So if you step on a snake, your odds of the snake deciding that you deserve to die for that aren't, aren't that high. However, picking a snake up, any any venomous snake bite below the elbow, mm-hmm. it's the exact opposite. No shit. It's very rare that those are dry bites. Most of the envenomations in the United States take place when people try and kill snakes. Most of them. Wow. I never Yeah. I never heard this before, man. You're blowing my mind. Um, so yeah, you, I, I, if you have access to it, I'm sure you can look up oh, the statistic. Sure. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's over. I want to say it's over seventy percent of envenomations are from somebody trying to kill the snake. Right. The worst thing you can try and do is kill it. I don't understand how people still think this is a good idea. That like, if you saw a black bear in the yard. Like get the kids in the house, but let's take some pictures. This is some cool stuff going on. Right. Right. And you go in the house because that thing could kill you if it wanted to. But the problem is, is people see a rattlesnake and they, they finish their beer and say, grab my shovel and watch this. I don't, I don't understand how many times you have to throw a rock at a hornet's nest before you learn that there's, <laughs> there's repercussions for your actions. Like, if you just leave it alone, yep. <laughs> you're going to be fine. <laughs> But people are foolish to say it lightly. Yeah, I I don't know what it is. We will have groups of traveling gangs that will work with us. 
and a lot of them aren't from Pennsylvania, right? And they they are from places where they just kill rattlesnakes all the time. Yes. So what I actually started to do was I was talking to someone who made sure that there was people aware, and they were made aware that they couldn't just kill them. Correct. There's a in a lot of parts of this country, the rattlesnakes are doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Their their populations are extremely strong. Uh, they have all of the habitat they could ever hope to have. And especially when you get into the Southwest, where rattlesnakes get along quite well in suburbia, they do just fine. With the amount of human trash out there, right. the rodent population goes up, the rattlesnake population goes up. Right. With the amount of times people have sheds or abandoned locations where the snakes can hide, they're doing just fine. Pennsylvania is not one of those places. The rattlesnakes in our state don't do well around people for a bunch of different reasons. But for the most part, if you're in good rattlesnake country, you're not in good real estate country. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fact. <laughs> I mean, I know we have a couple places close to where I'm at, and I think that the I would say the places I know where they're at locally here, it's that prototypical hilly, rockyness. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like that, absolutely. That old, like old timber mixed with like open area kind of kind of like similar yeah, they need they need to have a place where shelter is abundant mm-hmm. uh food opportunities are abundant right and the opportunity to get the sun is abundant yeah. so if you have forest with an opening that turns into a blueberry patch next to a boulder field you're in a good spot yeah, yeah. and for the most part the boulder field is the part that people miss. So the reason why you could have hunted Pennsylvania your entire life and never seen a rattlesnake in person is because if you're enjoying your hike, you're not in good rattlesnake country. If you want to be in good rattlesnake country, for the most part, right. there are exceptions. I know a couple spots where you, you're walking along a logging road and you're walking right next to a fantastic den area. Right. But – for the large majority of the time, if you're enjoying your hike, you're in bad rattlesnake area because in order to be in good rattlesnake area, you're hopping over boulders, climbing up rock walls. You're about to fall off a cliff. Like it's never <laughs> that fun. Right. <laughs> no, I feel you, man. That, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I just, I'm just thinking of some of the spots in my head where I know I can find them. And you, I mean, you're, you're about head on. It's, they're not very good hiking environments. No, God, no. And like you were saying, you know, with the blueberry patches and such, that stuff is thick. You know what I mean? Oh my God, yeah, it is. Yeah, super thick. Um, but you, so we got the rattlesnake numbers. You, you did mention. I want to get this right. You said the the rattlesnake rattles. They get a new kind of like a new uh, groove. They get a new section. Okay, and that's so every the, time. Every time they shed. Every time they shed. Yep. And how many times so, do they shed a year? It it varies wildly depending on how much they're growing. Obviously, the first few years of life, they're growing quite rapidly. Yeah. And then later in life, it slows down a little bit. Um, 
they're just not growing as fast. Plus, with the amount of food opportunities that come their way, um, they'll grow faster and whatnot. Typically, from what I've seen, I would say they shed on average, the ones that I've seen, if I had to average it out, I would say they shed probably once a month, once every three weeks or so. So the rattle will keep growing every time, but just like fingernails, they'll break off. Once they get too long, they'll break off. So especially living in really rocky environments, the rattles break off constantly. I was up at a, at a den just last week and we found two pieces of two ends of different rattles on the same rock. And you'll find that pretty consistently when you're up at the den sites that you'll just find half of a rattle sitting on top of a rock because all of the snakes were enjoying their day until a red tail hawk showed up and they all ducked for cover and one pinched its tail before it shot it underneath the rock and the tail pops off and they don't care as long as it's still functional, it still works for them. Yeah. But there's a, uh, there's a misconception that you can tell the age of a rattlesnake by how many sections are on its rattle. Right. And that's not a very good indicator at all, actually. So what is a good indication of age for, for a rattlesnake? Size would probably be the best one. Um, once they hit maturity, the growth slows down quite significantly. Um, there's been a couple studies done. I don't have exact numbers on it, but there was a, a good friend of mine and a mentor, uh, a gentleman with far more knowledge of these things than I have just because of the years that he has put into it. Right. Um, his name is Alan Hildebrand and he has a snake that he has caught on multiple occasions now called Goldie. It was pit tagged a few years back during a rattlesnake roundup and he went out and caught it again and they were able to do all of the tests on it and whatnot and measurements, size, weights, stuff like that. And I don't think after two years that it even grew more than an inch. So I see, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just, I literally was at work and my buddy just showed me a video of this snake on, on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's funny. You even bring that up. It was at Goldie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's a famous snake now. Uh, Alan's done a fan. Alan is a, is a wonderful resource uh, for information and he's a true advocate for the species. He really does a great job with it. That's awesome. And, so the thing is, is that that snake in two years didn't even grow a full inch, I don't think. Um, so in order to get these snakes that are up at 57, 58 inches long, right? it could be 20, 30 years Jesus. before they get that big. So it's, it's just incredible. One, how old these things are, how long they're living out there. Um, pretty much undisturbed. Like right. they don't get bothered by people too much. Um, and then of course we show up and start messing with them and they still try to get away from us. It's actually, uh, anytime I take new people out, it always surprises them that when we start getting close, when we're in the, we're within a hundred yards or so, I'll turn around and pull my finger up to my mouth. Like everybody shush, like we're getting close. Be right. quiet. Right. Cause they're going to run. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they ditch. They, they don't want anything to do with you. If they have an area to escape to, they will 
And if they don't, they're going to try and find one. If they don't have a place to hide and they can't find one, then they'll stand their ground. They'll retreat steps one retreating is steps one through five for a rattlesnake for the most part and even a a big like 58 inch rattlesnake they can only strike for maybe a third of their body length so if you're standing 20 inches away you're safe so as long as as long as you don't stand on top of them you're out of range just and they're not fast they're not they don't crawl very fast they're not going to chase you so just stay more than two feet away and you're going to be just fine and you can take all the pictures you want and tell all your buddies how brave you were for getting close to it without having to grab a shovel. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about like weight of these snakes? And the reason I say that is because I know you were talking about inches, but yes. some of them are, I mean, they're impressive but yeah. for the thickness, you know, the, the circumference of the snake itself. They, they are much bigger than they look when you look at photos. Correct. Um, so with a lot of pit vipers, the, the, they're, they're girthy yeah. critters to say it slightly. Yep. Um, so to have one that's eight inches in circumference, that's not abnormal at all. That's just a, that's a healthy male. Um, even some big females can get up to that big around. And so when I say eight inches in circumference, we're talking something halfway between a baseball and a softball like a really big orange. Like that's how big around these things will get in person. Right. And the strange thing is, is when you, when you handle them, cause I, I hunt rattlesnakes. I go out, I, I handle dozens every year um, of the ones that I feel like handling. I, I, I find two or 300 and there's a couple dozen that I feel like picking up and examining closer. Um, but when you pick them up, if you do so in a gentle way and you're calm with them, when you pick them up, they feel like they're sausage, like they're just limp, like they're they're gelatinous. Hmm. But as soon as you handle them too rough, you misplace your foot and you stumble a little bit while you're holding them, you quickly remember that they're made out of muscle. Right. So if you put one up in a tube and it doesn't want to be in the tube and it starts to fight you, you realize that you're you're dealing with a four and a half foot chunk of muscle. Right. Like, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's a chain that determines its own direction. And it's the weirdest feeling to have them go from being calm, relaxed and squishy to stiff as a board and thrashing about wildly. And it's not a very comforting feeling whatsoever. See, I'm. I would be around for guys catching them and whatnot, and it's not something I've got to experience where somebody catches one and they put it in the tube to measure it or anything. But I've seen guys move them, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just like, what are you, what are you doing, man? You're freaking crazy. But um, they are just incredible creatures, if you ask me. Just the way that they hang out together and everything. And I did want to add something when I brought up a copperhead. So when we found, I actually found, I think there was about seven of them together the one day. And in the midst of all of them, there was a copperhead with them. Yes. And is that something that's kind of normal for them or? Yes. Um, You'll typically find, so what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Mm -hmm. If, if the rattlesnakes are in a place that has 
a lot of food sources, a, a lot of food resources, good shelter, and good access to the sun, it's going to draw in other animals that are seeking the same thing. Copperheads are one of them. Um, also garter snakes. I find garter snakes mixed in with the rattlesnakes all the time. Hmm. Um, I'll find black snakes mixed in there. Uh, ringnecks, I, all, all the different species for the most part, except for water snakes. I haven't found water snakes or milk snakes mixed in with the rattlesnakes hmm. too much, but I find plenty of species of snakes mixed in and amongst the rattlesnakes or in good rattlesnake country. Um, one of my favorites that I actually found at a den was the biggest Eastern hog nose that I've ever found. She was probably 36, 38 inches long, just wow. a massive big for a hog nose, right? Um, jet black head to tail. And she gave me the whole gamut. If, if, if people listening don't know what a hog nose snake is, uh, they have an upturned nose, like a pug, Yep, which gives them the term hog nose. And then, uh, they are the ones who play possum like no other snake does. Um, so they don't just, it's not that you startle them and they instantly get stiff as a board and roll on their back and play dead. Uh, they play dying for a solid minute and a half before they actually play dead until you leave. Uh, so I have a fantastic video of a hog nose that I stumble across when I'm looking for rattlesnakes. And, uh, I was thinking about picking it up and then I thought better of it because I know that one of the main ways that they defend themselves is to shit all over themselves. And I didn't want to pick it up. So I used my hook to try and pick it up. And as soon as I did that, it went through this death roll spiral where it <laughs> crapped all over itself, threw its mouth open, drug itself all over the place. And then I spent the next like five minutes trying to roll it onto its stomach and it would always roll back onto its back. And it's just, it was hilarious, but it was a good time. Well, those the hognose, isn't that kind of a rare snake? Not so much. Um, it's not as common as a garter snake, mm-hmm. but you can definitely find good populations of them around. The, the difficult part of it is, is hognose snakes are very comfortable going subterranean. So they'll, if they have soft enough soil, they'll dig down into it. Okay for when the day gets too hot or when they feel like, eh, I'm too exposed. They'll dig down into leaf litter. They'll, they'll dig down. Um, and plus their main prey species is toads. Actually, that's pretty much, they specialize in eating toads. And a lot of people don't know this, but hog nose are technically rear fang venomous as are garter snakes. So when you, what do you, what do you mean by rear fang? So to have front fangs like timber rattlesnakes, uh, copperheads, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and most of the other snakes that people think are venomous, right? Uh, they have two they have fangs up front that slip down into place perpendicular to the top jaw. Right. And when they bite, there's a groove in the back of the fang itself or a hole in the fang itself that whenever they bite the venom glands behind the eyes are pressurized systems. And when they bite, they can push venom directly to the tips of those fangs down into the opening that they've just created. Now those are front fang venomous snakes or just what most people just call venomous. Right. Whereas rear fang venomous, it's more of a prehistoric 
style of venom delivery system where they have specialized teeth in the back of their mouth that have grooves in them. And then the saliva that they, that come out of the gum line near those teeth is actually a type of venom. So to humans, hognose venom doesn't do too much. The worst case scenario, if you're allergic to hognose venom is your hand will swell up like you got stung by a bee. Right. Uh, same thing with garter snakes, but I don't know of anybody who's allergic to garter snakes. I haven't personally heard of it. But if you're an amphibian or a fish, that venom is deadly. It immobilizes you, which is why it works so well on toads and fish and other stuff like that. So garter snakes and hognose snakes are technically rear fang venomous, but not venomous enough to cause any harm to people whatsoever. Now, is a water snake like that too or not? No, water snakes are just, water snakes aren't venomous, but you can't convince them of that. Right. Um, I think, trust me, I think all snakes are the coolest things on the planet. I really do. They're my favorite animal out and about. Um, but with that being said, water snakes seem to have a temperament that no other snake in the state holds they're like the chihuahua of snakes yes absolutely <laughs> and and they get so theatrical with how tough they think they are yeah. because they puff themselves up full of air to show you that they look like a pit viper they flatten out their heads to show you that they look like a pit viper mm -hmm. and then they just keep biting you and the strange thing is, is if you can withstand like three minutes worth of getting bit once they realize that you're a really bad predator, like you suck at this, they'll stop doing it. But in my mind, the way I look at it is if you're a water snake, your biggest threat is a crane or a heron, which walks on two legs, right. walks right up to you, picks you up off the ground, and then works away at swallowing you. Yep. Your best bet is to bite at everything that moves. Yep. And then we come – trout fishing down the stream see the snake on two legs we come down the stream on two legs trout fishing and we grab it and pick it up to look at it and get really surprised when it won't stop biting us <laughs> so i understand why they're doing it i just wish they would get to the okay you suck at this i wish they would get to that point a lot sooner because right. they're really cool snakes they're they're a heavy bodied snake we don't have too many heavy bodied snakes in pennsylvania we have a lot of rat snakes we have a lot of like racers mm -hmm. there's smooth greens we have a lot of species of long slender snakes we don't have too many beefy snakes and of the beefy snakes that you can pick up without worrying about ending up in the hospital water snakes are pretty much top of the food chain in that area right and i just it just it would just be a lot nicer if they would be a little more polite about being handled because <laughs> I can't get it through to them as of yet. Well, no, I have, I never have either. And <laughs> I deal with them a lot. Just uh, a couple, yeah. couple places that I fish is just full of them. I mean, they're just everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and in order, another thing about them, because I found that I find this fascinating. The idea of an animal, no hands, no feet, no fins, no gills. That is, Adapted well enough to outswim fish in the creek to eat them is astounding to me. <laughs> like it makes no sense at all that these fish live in this creek. 
there's trout that just live in the creek and that's all they do all day long is they're basically running on a treadmill they are the best swimmers in that water right until a water snake shows up and it can hunt them down and it just boggles my mind with no hands no feet no fins no gills still wildly successful yeah <laughs> i i agree totally 100 percent. and uh, it's funny though that we were talking you were saying about uh the prey that they have to worry about uh, being preyed upon is I've watched turtles get and eat water snakes. Really? Yes. Like snapping turtles? Snapping turtles. Yeah, snapping turtles are, are really, really not picky <laughs> about what they eat. They're straight uh, killers. Snapping turtles, will, yeah, they're snake killers, they're bird killers. If they can catch it, they will try and eat it. Yeah. Um, it and they have they don't care about size either. I saw a snapping turtle no bigger than, I don't know. It was about the size of a, a like a Nerf football yeah, or like a kid's soccer ball. And it had in its mouth a, uh, a sucker that was probably two foot long. <laughs> it had grabbed onto this thing and was trying to eat. And I saw this, I was floating by in a canoe and I saw this go like this fish like spazzing out on the bottom. And at first I thought it was a fish that was stuck on some fishing line and I was going to help. And then I saw what was going on and decided to get my hands out of the water. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> the snapping turtles are no joke, man. They can get pretty big yeah, too. They really do. I know of a, a communal nesting site for snapping turtles too, that I, I, I stumbled upon while I was trout fishing once. Mm. It was actually, it was, I'd never expected ever to find anything like that. I never really gave, thought as to where snapping turtles laid their eggs but i always assumed there's there's islands every mile in the susquehanna seemingly right they could just lay them there yeah and i didn't know how far they were willing to travel in order to lay those eggs but yeah it was a pretty cool pretty cool discovery that i wasn't expecting yeah well turtles are a whole nother subject and um we can go down that road another day, but I do have a couple more questions for you about these, about rattlesnakes. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> there's, and I just want to get some myths or, or, or things that I've heard out of the way. Okay. So you did say earlier that you have heard or have seen black snakes end up with rattlesnakes. Correct. And one thing that I've heard people say is that, and I don't know if they're talking about what type of black snake, okay? You know, because I know we have multiple black snakes, rat snakes, king snakes. Um, do black snakes eat rattlesnakes? All right. This is a tough one. <laughs> because a black snake of decent size mm -hmm. with an empty enough stomach is going to play a game called I Win. Okay. If I can beat you, I win. However, if there are rattlesnakes in an area, they are not typically prey for eastern black rat snakes or racers. Mm -hmm. As far as it goes for king snakes in Pennsylvania, king snakes are the ones that eat rattlesnakes, but okay. we don't have that many in Pennsylvania. Right. I'm not sure if we have them anymore. I believe they were extirpated from the from the state. I think the closest colony of known king snakes was in is in southern Maryland, maybe northern Virginia. Um, however, when you get into those states where king snakes exist, 100% the answer is yes. Hmm. King snakes are called king snakes because they're a, they're a type of lamp, which is a 
well, lamp is a, a shortened scientific name. They eat other snakes. Milk snakes are also another type of lamp, and milk snakes are snake eaters as well. So if a milk snake was big enough, feasibly, it would eat a rattlesnake or a baby copperhead if given the opportunity. Wow. Yeah. But the rat, the black snakes that everybody sees around here, the ones that people take really cool pictures of, they're climbing just straight up a tree, uh-huh. not going around it. They're just straight in a straight line up a tree. Yeah. Uh, those aren't those aren't really predating on rattlesnakes or copperheads. Regret. I, I, I understand that it would be great for me to lie to you and say, yeah, absolutely. They kill they kill so many rattlesnakes and copperheads <laughs> right. that you shouldn't kill them when you find them. <laughs> Uh, because they're really good at killing rattlesnakes, right. but there's, there's plenty of reasons to have them around. Um, oh, yeah. everybody thinks it's a good idea to have cats on the farm to keep the mouse levels down, Right. but you never find cats in between bales when you're throwing bales on a farm, <laughs> you always find snakes. And that's because the snakes are chasing the mice into the bales yep. and the cats can't go there. Yeah, right. Cats can't go in between walls. Cats don't really can't chase a mouse across the rafters the way snakes do. The snakes, especially eastern black rat snakes, can go anywhere a rat can go, and then some. And when they get there, they're not – they have a nose like a bloodhound. They taste the air with their tongue. So they're not just searching out a mouse. They're searching out the highest concentration of mouse smell that they can find. And typically what that leads them to is the nest. So they show up at the nest. They eat all the babies. When mom comes back, they eat her. When dad comes back, they eat him. And then they go find another nest where cats eat the mice that are dumb enough to show up in the open. Right. So there's plenty of reasons to have black rat snakes out there. Uh, The fact that they could possibly almost maybe sometimes kill a rattlesnake isn't one of them. Well, that comes back to (laughs) rattlesnakes being demonized too. Yes. You know, oh, don't, don't, don't hurt them, don't kill them. They kill the rattlesnakes. Well, <laughs> number one, right. there's not that many rattlesnakes. You know, and if you find them, at least for me and in my experience, and this is another road I want to go down, is when I find them, I find more than one. I mean, correct. They're like a creature of like a den or like a herd or you know whatever the word is for it. Yes, they're a communal species because so. Snakes exist on what I like to call islands. Mm-hmm. All throughout our state, there are these islands of perfect habitat that exist despite the encroachment of civilization, despite the encroachment of power line workers walking through and just smacking every single one of them on the head with a stick or, or, or pipeline guys chopping them up as they go through. Now, I know that that's not every one of them. I get that. And trust me, I've, I've heard some fantastic stories of guys out on those, on those job sites. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they exist on these isolated pockets of perfect habitat. And if it's a good enough area that it's good enough for one, typically it's good enough for a bunch of them. Right. Because they can go three weeks without eating, and that's not abnormal at all. That's that's typical. They could go all year without eating, and they'd still live. Until the next year, they'd be fine. Wow. So it's not like they're competing for resources at such a high level that they can't exist amongst each other, especially because these isolated pockets that allow them, especially to winter in an area, that's 
that's the time where they get really concentrated where you can find a hundred snakes on the same rock. And that's typically because there's a spot where they can hibernate right there. Right. But yeah. And then, so we had mentioned about how black snakes, the theory was that black snakes kill rats. Right. That that was considered a good thing. Um, as far as it goes for the demonization of timber rattlesnakes in Pennsylvania, what all people need to is in Pennsylvania, thing that we get to deal with all the time called Lyme disease. Yeah. And the and Penn State University studied a, uh, uh, published a study a few years back, and basically they had found that an average timber rattlesnake in one year eats between 2,500 and 4,500 ticks. Wow. And the interesting part about that is you don't get Lyme disease because a tick fed on a deer and then fed on you. Right. You get Lyme disease because a tick fed on a rodent and then fed on you. Right. Rattlesnakes eat the rodents that are carrying the ticks that are carrying the Lyme disease. Hmm. The more rattlesnakes we kill, the more Lyme disease we're going to have to deal with. There's a few species out there that do a great job of controlling the Lyme disease numbers. Possums, turkeys, and other things like that. Right. And rattlesnakes are one of them. Yes, yeah, I never knew that either. And, and the other thing is is that I'm, I'm fully aware that black rat snakes, copperheads, and other snakes that eat mice – Right. do a very similar job at it. The difference is, is that there's no other snake in Pennsylvania that can take down adult rabbits. And adult rabbits can, the numbers can get pretty high, at least before we had a, a large population of coyotes in the state of Pennsylvania. The numbers of adult rabbits would get really high and they became carriers of disease. Right, yep. And the only thing that would cut that down was rattlesnake population. Yeah, I never even thought of as as a rattlesnake as uh, you know a, a high predator or a big predator for a rabbit. Yeah, they're one of the few, hmm. as far as it goes for snake wise. The, I I don't know of any other snake that consistently feeds on rabbits, but rattlesnakes can take out can take baby rabbits if they want to. Mm-hmm. They can definitely, especially the bigger males, can take out full size rat. Well, not full size, but almost full-size rabbits i'm pretty sure they could kill them i don't know if they'd be able to eat it but i've seen some videos of some pythons choking down gazelles that makes me think that maybe a rattlesnake could eat a whole rabbit yeah yeah i wouldn't be shocked neither would i i would definitely take a picture of it though it'd be some cool stuff to see heck yeah (laughs) um so are are rattlesnakes what are what are their biggest predators typically hawks um when they're adults wise Mm -hmm. hawks do a really good job with them i've seen some evidence out there there's some really there's some really cool trail camera footage somebody got incredibly lucky to see a bobcat walking past a trail camera and then the bobcat turns back around in the video and starts swinging at a bush and all of a sudden the bush starts rattling and you quickly realize what's happening is the bobcat has figured out how to kill rattlesnakes without dying wow and what it does is it keeps one paw in the air 
and it kind of pump fakes forward. And when the rattlesnake strikes, the cat drops its paw and grabs the thing behind the head. Bobcats are terrifying creatures, <laughs> how efficiently they can kill stuff. Right. Um, I've, I've seen them go after full grown deer. Yep. They do a, a great job as a tiny predator. They're nature's perfect killing machine. And they are just so frustrated that they're only 20 pounds. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. If they were any bigger, I mean, that just, that just goes to show you though, like people, if we actually had mountain lions, you know, oh like you God, get out yeah. in Wyoming and shit, man. Like, they're no joke. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they are. We were talking about the killing, the ultimate killing machine. Mm-hmm. They are, they're insane. I did 53 miles through Yosemite in three days, about a month ago, two months ago now. And we saw one set of mountain lion tracks, mm-hmm. and I was just tickled pink that we had seen it. I was really excited to see them. And then a ranger told me that he'd been out there for 15 years and he's seen three in all 15 years. And wow. two of them were just quick glimpses of them running across the road while he was on his way to work. So I was pretty bummed about that. Yeah. But those things take down elk. <laughs> and and you mean to tell me that every year the state of Pennsylvania sends, what is it, like 300,000 hunters in the woods? Yeah. And 80% of them are playing a game called If It's Brown, It's Down. And nobody shot a mountain lion in Pennsylvania? Yep. Like I, I'm not buying it. <laughs> no, I mean I'm right there with you. I there's too there's too many people in the woods of Pennsylvania that don't don't get me wrong. There are big large tracts of land that are kind of undisturbed, you know. But holy heck, man! I mean, look at the surrounding states too. Like, yeah, they right. they used to be here, but right. Well, you had that one that ended up dead on the highway in Connecticut. Mm-hmm or Delaware or whatever it was. And they were able to track that thing both genetically and by the physical characteristics of it. It still had pattern on the inside of its legs. It was a young male and they were able to link it genetically that one of its first tier relatives, a a first cousin, a brother, a sister, a mom, something like that um, was previously tagged in either North Dakota or South Dakota. And that this thing's picture had been taken like 75 times in its walk from the Dakotas to where it finally met a hi- met a highway that it didn't make it across. Right. And it was documented the entire time. And at no point in time did any game commission cover it up. If they got a trail camera picture of it, they notified the people in the area and let people know like, Hey, keep your dogs inside. We don't know why it's here. We don't know if it's an escape pet or not. And at no point in time did anybody ever hide the ball. But yet there's this massive conspiracy right. in the state of Pennsylvania that there are mountain lions living and breeding out there. <laughs> and I, for the life of me, can't figure out how these people, their vote counts the same as mine. <laughs> well, we don't want to go down that path. Not the voting path. <laughs> Not yeah, we the can't political do that. talk. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really think that, you know, that's a thing or anything like that. But bobcats are nasty, man. And, and there is no doubt in my mind, I will say this, that the bobcat population has highly, highly went up because I can remember being young and a guy got a picture of one. And I remember it was the, the biggest thing. Like everybody's like, oh my God, this is a bobcat. It's a bobcat. And now I'm constantly getting pictures of bobcats. Yep. Yeah, we have a bunch of them behind my house too. Um, actually 
a neighbor a few houses down has a pretty cool video of bobcats playing on her porch like baby bobcats playing on her porch until mom realized that they shouldn't be up there and mom got them out of there pretty quickly but right. it was a pretty cool video yeah i'm sure that would be really cool um back to rattlesnakes yeah i like to add when do these rattlesnakes reproduce so right now uh early August is typically breeding season. This is when the males are doing a large amount of their traveling. This is the time of year that most of the time that people are running into them. Mm -hmm. It's typically large males traveling, looking for females that are gravid, which is basically another word for in heat. They're developing the embryos inside waiting for fertilization. Um, This is the time of year that that is taking place. However, the babies are typically laid. the, The babies typically hit the ground starting in, September, late September in that area is when I find most of the time that the large majority of the babies are out. And, and when go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't mean to And and once once one is out, you again you typically don't find just one. You typically find a pile of them. A literal it looks like spaghetti made of rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. They are all congealed together in one mass wherever the sun is hitting yeah and i mean they're basically you know they just they're they're in a good spot where the heat's good and they're just huddled up together yep um i i heard something the other day and i know it's probably not right but i heard that does something happen to their eyes during the breeding season or something um, I was told that they glaze over in some way or some sort. So not necessarily. Okay. There is something called a pre-lay shed mm-hmm. that most snakes will go through before they either lay their eggs or have their babies. And anytime a snake is going into shed, their eyes glaze over. So it's, they have a a skin membrane over their eyes. Right. And what ends up happening is as the, as they grow, they need to shed that skin. Now humans, we shed our skin cells all day, every day. Right. Millions of skin cells fall off of us at all times with snakes. They do it all at once. They basically crawl right out of their skin in order to do that. There's a layer of oil that, starts to permeate underneath the layer of the the outside most layer of skin. It permeates underneath that. That layer of oil, when it shows up under the outermost layer of skin over the eyes, it gives them a glazed over bluish cloudy look. And that's just a snake going into shed. They do that multiple times every year. Mm-hmm. However, females will also do that before they lay their their clutch before they have their litter right um and that's one of the it's one of the ways that i've been able to tell whether or not if i show up to a spot that i know females are getting ready to lay and have their babies and it's only 60 degrees out so the snakes aren't going to be out but i show up and i see two or three shed skins outside of the 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 gestational site i know that those babies are under that rock right that she's most likely had the babies but all snakes go through that. It doesn't matter if you're breeding ball pythons or corn snakes or anything like that. They go through a pre-lay shed 
that lets you know that they're about to have the babies. Now, what do you think the survival rate is of the babies? Is it, I mean, is it like one in six or is it better? You know, are they, are they going to make it? I'm not so sure. I don't have that number available to me. And I don't know if anybody's really done recruitment rate research on it. Um, Throughout most of nature, most snakes in the wild, their numbers aren't good. They're still a noodle with a head. Um, And they can get preyed upon by a lot of stuff, especially as babies. Crows will take them out. Hawks will take them out. Possums will take them out. Like there's there's a lot of stuff out there that would love a chance at a lot of protein in a small, soft bite, bite sized chunk. Right. Uh, so they don't also, they're not perfect killing machines. They, they're not great hunters. Every one of them. Um, a lot of them don't make it their first year, but I don't have that number in front of me. I'd like to think that it was a high number, but I don't think it is. Hmm. Now you're always looking for these snakes and you're you know really into it are you involved in any snake hunts i get invited um i haven't had the opportunity just because typically when i get a chance to go snake hunting or go out and look for them um it's typically spur of the moment where plans have fallen through or a baseball game got canceled or something like that and i'm I find out about it at one o'clock and I'm like, well, I got my hook. I got my boots. I'm going after work. Um, So I haven't really had the opportunity. I'd love to go out and partake in one uh, with the people that I I consider to be really good advocates of the species. Um, Alan Hildebrand, Carl Miller, them kind of guys, they're fantastic. Um, And they're really, really good at it. And they, they have a really respectful tone when they deal with snakes. And I, I think the world of them guys, um, I'd love to partake in it with those types of people. There are other people that partake in it as a, it's kind of a a, a machismo, I guess. They're just trying to show how, how tough they are, how brave they are, stuff like that. And the snakes are more of a, they play second fiddle to that, their egos. Um, It's not often, but those people do exist. And I don't, I don't like to be around those kind of people. I, I, I feel like, if you're going out there to appreciate the animals, appreciate the animals. Yep. Yep. I'm right so. there with you. And I'm, I'm the kind of guy that <clears throat> I don't mind picking up garter snakes and picking up uh black snake of some sort or milk snakes, you know, green snakes, racers, whatever. But those are big nope ropes for me. The rattlesnakes. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't really play around with them. I love to look at them and I think that they're great. They're super cool. I have lots of videos and pictures and all that stuff. And I got a, I I really like the yellow phase rattlesnakes and oh I know right oh man and I and I'm I'm not a guy that's like oh man I got to kill stuff and all this stuff but I I'd be lying if I tell you I really really don't don't think about not having a yellow phase rattlesnake mount in my house <laughs> right <laughs> because that I, is they're about the coolest things oh my god yeah I had taken so these guys I I knew this one guy his name's Brett Korsnitz I I grew up around him I, I when I was in Halifax me and him went to school together mm-hmm. and then obviously you graduate you don't see anybody ever again but we ended up reconnected because we both worked in the same building for a while there. And come to find out, he had started his own YouTube channel. 
Central Pennsylvania outdoorsman. And he had reached out to me to let me know that they'd, they'd like to do something with rattlesnakes. They just don't know what to do. Right. And he knew I was into it. And he was wondering if I could point them in the right direction. So I agreed to take them with the stipulation that I have to take them to the hardest to reach spot that I have, that it has to be, it's going to be the most miserable hike. It's going to be the longest hike. You're not on a trail for 90% of it. You're bushwhacking for 90% of it. (laughs) But once you're there, I guarantee you, I will put you on snakes. And that even if you film something that gives away the spot, anybody that looks at a map is going to go, absolutely not. That's not worth my time. And that's what I did. (laughs) <laughs> so it was really cool for these guys they're obviously avid outdoorsmen they have their own youtube channel of trapping and fishing for native brook trout and yeah. trapping bobcats like we had talked about hunting deer and turkey and bear and like they're they're really into the outdoors never had seen a rattlesnake in the wild mm-hmm. so i took them out and i got to see that fascination right and that that respect through somebody else's eyes and it was a really cool experience anybody who's ever taken their kids hunting knows exactly what i'm talking about but i got to see this through their eyes again and it was really cool for me they really enjoyed it and the cool thing was is that the entire hike in i kept hearing the same question can i step here is this safe am i okay to do this like on the way in, everybody acted like we were walking through a minefield in Rwanda. Okay. <laughs> like any step was going to be their last. Right. And I had to keep telling them like, you guys are going to be fine. Don't worry. People growing up know, or at least are told that rattlesnakes are, a trip wire in the woods. Right. You're never going to see it. You're not going to know it's there. And all of a sudden, boom, you're dead. And that couldn't be further from the <laughs> truth. The first rattlesnake we actually came up on, if it wouldn't have let us know it was there, we would have walked right past it, as is the case 90% of the time. Rattlesnakes have this uncanny ability to determine which direction you're going. First and foremost, they see you long before you see them. Right. And they are watching you to see which way you're going. Because if you're going to walk past them, they don't care. If you're going to walk on them, now they care. Right. Now they'll rattle and they'll let you know, don't step on me. I'm basically made of fish bones, which is absolutely true. They, If you've ever seen any snake skeleton, they are one giant spinal column with fish ribs that's all they're made of they are not tough they are there they can be deadly they're not tough right so we're walking along this rocky ridge and it kind of bottlenecks us into this over top of these two or three rocks and as soon as we chose that path a rattlesnake went off it started to rattle about 15 feet away from us we weren't even close to it right. yet, and it started rattling. And instantly, they all kind of take a step back. Where is it? Like, what do I need to do? Like, nobody move. And I'm just like, guys, come on. Come look. Just see what, what we're dealing with. And to be able to see them realize that the snake's personal bubble is much larger than its effective range. 
so to speak, where it's going to warn you like, hey, you're in my space long before you're a threat and long before it's a threat. So they got to see that. And then we went on further with the hike. We got up on some snakes that in the video you can even see they're doing what's called periscoping, which is when the snake picks the front third of its body up so that it has a higher vantage point mm-hmm. and it can see around. And we actually walked up to see there were probably three or four rattlesnakes out on the one rock and they were all had their heads up and they were all looking at us wondering what are we going to do next? And the moment we saw them talked about it, about how we were going to get out there, they kept staring at us. And the moment we started walking towards them, they scattered like cockroaches (laughs) because as soon as we made the decision, yep, we're going up there. They made the decision. Nope. We don't need to be here. Right. Right. And as the day progressed, I saw these three get a lot more comfortable being out there and just because they were starting to understand that these things aren't landmines they're not tripwires they're not out to get you they are trying their best not to get trampled the whole species of, of rattlesnakes is fascinating because they've evolved to have a warning signal to things that aren't their predators and aren't their prey right so you have when when you had giant herds of megafauna working their way across the continental United States, you had a snake that took up as much space as a dinner plate on the plains. And here comes a herd of buffalo that's five miles wide, 30 miles long, and you're a snake. And you can't do anything about it except for warn them that I'm here. And that worked. Right. So nowadays they're up in in the rocks in these blueberry patches, and when bears are coming along, and if you've ever seen bears eat blueberries, they do it like they're mad at them. They're not paying any attention. So for a snake, that's terrifying because they're about to get stepped on by a four or five hundred pound bear. Even though it's not a food source, they don't want to bite it. They want the bear to leave them alone so they don't get stepped on. They rattle the bear leaves them alone. Life goes on. So of the two animals in Pennsylvania that can take your life. They're the only ones that'll give you a warning about it first. Right. No <laughs> doubt. I'd actually taken them guys out another time to a different spot. And we walked up on a mom and three cubs. And we ended up getting pretty close before we realized how close mom was. Mom was only about 20, 30 yards from us. And she stood up through the blueberries and we finally saw her and she finally saw us. And we finally saw the cubs and, just as things were about to get hairy. <laughs> yeah, I had to get real loud and scare her off, and the cubs went up a tree. We got some pretty good pictures of them, but then we moved on out of that area. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been in, been in that position before. It's, it's always a pucker moment. Yep, no doubt about it. So Yeah, there's other myths out there, like, uh, let's say baby, baby rattlesnakes are more deadly because they can't control their venom. Yeah, yep. It's a complete myth. Um. Because one, the the venom load that a baby rattlesnake has might be enough to constitute two or three drops, whereas the venom load that an adult rattlesnake has can be a tablespoon. (laughs) As far as it goes for venom in your system, you would rather take less than more. Um, There is an argument to be made in certain species of rattlesnake that 
it's more of a neurotoxic venom when they're younger, meaning it attacks the nervous system more as compared to a hematoxic venom like the adults have right. that attacks tissue more. So with a, with adults, they're trying to break down heavy-bodied animals. Squirrels, compared to a snake, a squirrel might as well be an elephant and as far as it goes for bone density and, and muscle mass. Um, whereas the babies are going after lizards and fast-moving things, so they need something that paralyzes it a lot sooner and they'll digest it later, whereas adults need it to start digesting the moment they bite it. Right. So there's a lot more digestive properties in adult rattlesnakes than there are in baby rattlesnakes. Baby mm. rattlesnakes in some species have higher neurotoxic levels as compared to hematoxic levels. But in in both cases, if you have to get bit by one, make it the baby. There's less venom involved. There you go. There you go. It's <laughs> out there for everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, John, do you have anything else you'd like to add there? I want to be sensitive to your time here. And, um, basically before uh, you go too, I, I did just want to see, do you got any goals for this year that you're looking to meet? And not, it might not just be snake hunting. It might be something with deer or fishing or a uh, small game of some sort, or even uh, fitness goals or anything, anything you trying to do this year? I managed to convince my wife who once upon a time wanted to be a Manhattan lawyer and who at once upon a time was a paralegal and on her road to being a Manhattan lawyer, I convinced her to marry me, which was her first mistake. <laughs> but then I managed to convince her that archery was fun and worthwhile. Hmm. And she started shooting archery two years ago and she's really worked at it. She's kicking ass at it and I can't be more proud of her, but she has yet to shoot a buck or a doe for that matter. Okay. I would love to get my wife to harvest a deer and I'd love to be there for her first deer because it would just, just be icing on the cake for me. Oh, but I, I, that's my, that's my goal with that. As far as it goes for rattlesnake, my goal is to hopefully I go out and I find a ton of babies this year and, and every one of them makes it through the year and, I stop finding evidence that people have been trying to kill the damn things. Yeah. It'd be ideal. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Guys that like them are very protective of them. And I know some guys that are in that boat and I understand fully, you know, I mean, like you said, I don't, I don't see the reason in killing them. Now I can see if you're in my boat and you've been <laughs> looking at the same one, Maybe for a couple years or something, and you say, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna put that son of a bitch on my wall. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I've I've harvested rattlesnakes before. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I again, I, I find two to three hundred a year. Right. And this has been going on for five or six years, and I've harvested two. And it's it's always something that if I find something exceptional then it's something that I'd like to harvest. And I don't know if I'll ever harvest another one. Right. But to have something that starts a conversation, because the second somebody sees a rattlesnake mounted on your wall and they ask you where you got it, and you say, no, I, I caught that. Right. Where at? Well, I, I caught that. I caught that over in Clarion County. Right. And like, wait, 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 wait they're around here and you get to have that conversation and then they'll call you crazy for wanting to do that. 
And then you get to tell them that they're they're not as dangerous as you think. Right. And also they're not slimy like feel is, like feel how cool that is. And then they inadvertently, they always ask, what's in the rattle that makes it go? And you get to tell them that it's there's nothing in there. It's just a chain linked on the outside. And just the way you can rattle a chain without there being beads involved, you can rattle a rattle without there being little balls inside or anything like that. Right. And you get you get a chance to have that conversation. I find humans in general appreciate tangible things. Yes, we could take a picture. And most of the time, that's all I do. However, to the layman who's never seen anything like this before in real life, a picture may be worth a thousand words, but to actually hold something, to put it in your hand and see it as it is, not as it was, is way more valuable to humans in general than anything else. Yeah. So to be able to put that in their hands and say, this this is a rattlesnake, and, and this is real, like this exists out there. You've been living around these things your whole life, and yet you haven't died somehow, some way. It's a miracle, I'm sure. But for me, my boys have a rattlesnake skin that they want me to turn into buck knife sheets and stuff like that. They, they, have, they have plans for it. And then I have one. And then my buddy Brett has one that he has hanging up between the two best deer that he's ever killed. He decided that he wanted to put a rattlesnake skin up there. And it's a conversation that he gets to have because he was absolutely mortified anytime he saw a snake, even as a kid who grew up a farm on a farm, hated snakes his whole life. Until I got him out there to show him, this is your boogeyman. This is the worst snake in Pennsylvania in your mind. Right. And this is how hard they try to avoid you. Like, what does that say about the rest of them? If you can handle this, and maybe you can leave the rest of them alone too. You know what I mean? Yep, definitely. So, but yeah, those are my goals. <laughs> well, you got some good goals, and and I I fully understand. Like I said, if I do ever decide to go the route and harvest that one, I'll definitely make sure that I get some pictures to you. Um, absolutely. My taxidermist would absolutely love that. I know he would. <laughs> um, other than that, man, before I let you go, just uh, do you got social media platforms or anything that you post your stuff on? Uh, if you do, let the people know where they can find you and where they can follow yeah. your journey. Absolutely. So I have a group on Facebook called Keystone Rattlesnakes. It's a group. Um, we post in there mostly about the stuff that we're finding, the stuff we've seen, uh, stories. And then once season starts to come around and people start getting curious as to how they can get into it, how they can give this a try, people will inadvertently ask the question, where, where do I go? And it's kind of like giving up your best deer hunting spot or your best fishing spot. Nobody's going to just flat out tell you, you need to go to this road, make a left, go up the hill until it turns to dirt, make a right. That trail there on the left, follow that trail up. Nobody's going to tell you that. However, they'll tell you the kind of habitat that these things like to live in. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to put some miles on boots and maybe some eyes on some maps, you'll find the spots. And then obviously, if you wanted to ask about what equipment you need to use, boots, chaps, right. gaiters, hooks versus tongs, which is its own argument to be had at another day, um, stuff like that. But again, it's Keystone Rattlesnakes. 
you have any questions, I run the page with a gentleman named Dave Garber. If you have any questions, direct them towards us. We'll help you out. Perfect. Perfect, man. This was such a good episode for me. I really, I mean, you killed it, man. Honestly, I'm super impressed. I I, I really appreciate your time and I'm going to have to have you back on, man. We'll have to go back down this road again. Um, Maybe we'll do some hunting (laughs) or some fishing next time. Absolutely. It'd be um, a blast. um, I know that you, uh, you didn't grow up very far from where I'm at, so you might, you might, yeah, you, you know, the area pretty well. So, um, Thanks for coming on, man. I, I hope all is Thanks well. Thanks for and, having uh, me. Yeah, and we'll catch up with you another time. All right, sounds good. I will right, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. That does it for another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in, and as always, please like, subscribe, and comment on whatever platform you're listening to. That's really good for the brand. Really helps me out on the other side. I really hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I got some really good stuff coming up two really super good guests that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. So keep your ears open and until next time, God bless.